Today's teaching text comes from Matthew 3, verse Jesus was baptized. He went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we're committed to standing for the text during Lent, so I kind of want to pick like the first half of Leviticus. Um, Good to see all of you. Um, a, a close friend of mine is being baptized today in, in another city. Uh, she's the daughter of, of two dear friends who helped to start our church. And I was praying for her yesterday and just thinking about that, that moment. Um, and, you know, not every moment in our lives weighs exactly the same. Um, you know, sometimes there's, a, you know, a forgotten moment where, you know, a bagel, you know, falls off of our lip onto our shirt on a Wednesday, and then there's a the moment you get baptized. And somehow those are both moments of our lives and not necessarily exact, they don't weigh the same, at least in our memory. But I was just thinking about that, that moment where she will uh, confess her faith in Jesus and, and go into the water. Um, there will be... I know her family and, and the community she's in, there'll be a lot of support, there'll be a lot of love. I know it's an answer to years of prayers for her, her parents, um, for us as her friends. She's adding to uh, the collection of, of stories in the, in the great collection of stories of, of God's redeeming love. And baptism is a physical representation of this new start. It's I, lo- I love this about uh, our, our faith and about God's wisdom in it that um, two of the things we return to over and over again is this unbelievably simple meal and a bath. <laughs> um, our, our baptism is this physically immersive uh, symbol, a sacrament to recognize a new start, that we are buried with Christ and raised to walk in a, in a newness of life. And, and I want to speak... Uh, a, a little bit about that newness of life today, but it's a cause for celebration for my friend. Her name's Loretta, and uh, yeah, and, and I hope the whole day will be incredible. I bet, I bet it will. You know, the whole week, the month. I, I hope that she'll have years of of joyous ease, like a honeymoon stage of her faith. Um, uh, but chances are, at some point, and maybe it will even be before her hair gets fully dry from her baptism, uh, a challenge is going to come. She might have a thought like, is, is this it? I, I got baptized. Is this, is this, is this all there is? Uh, I bet there will be a moment she has three siblings. Uh, I bet there'll be a moment where one of her siblings is driving her crazy. I don't think that's, I don't have to be too prophetic to imagine that will happen at some point. Uh, someone's going to let her down in life. Life is going to throw her a curveball. At some point, there's going to be a challenge to her declared trust in God that we are celebrating this morning. Not that she's gonna go back necessarily on her belief and her mind and heart, but in some way she's going to confront a temptation to meet a deep need, a real need of her life out of her own resources again, out of that old story 
again, the story that went down in the water. This happens to all of us. Uh, It happened to Jesus. Yesterday, uh, as I was thinking about Loretta being baptized, I got another email from a friend who was baptized right here at Middle School 51. Um, And he was sending me a message. It was an encouraging message of faith, um, but it was also a message about needing endurance. Because, again, I don't think I'm going to shock anyone, but life is hard. Life is full of challenges. This, this man was baptized, and, and I remember the day his family was here uh, on the front row taking pictures, and he, and he shared a powerful story of God's rescuing love in his life. And he came out of the water to raucous applause. And here he is, years later, and he's describing real challenges, <laughs> He's describing this need to to keep pressing on. All of us are familiar with this dynamic. Uh, Many of you, I bet, can think of both of those realities in in your own life. Maybe, maybe, Maybe it would be helpful even to go there in your imagination with me for a moment, to think of a time of deep growth or real a sense of closeness with God. An experience of, of love, joy in, in worship. We just sang, you are my joy, you are my joy. Maybe you, you, we were all the way there in your emotions today, but maybe you have to go back in your memory to a time when you really felt joy in worship. The, maybe the adventure of, of life and trust and taking God at his word and taking practical steps in response to that. Salvation stories, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe your own baptism, those high point moments. But also, we've just lived through two years of a pandemic. There is a war raging in Ukraine. And then on top of those things, we just face the daily, the daily challenges of life, exhaustion and irritability and, 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 and deadlines at work. I was talking with my wife yesterday, tell me if this has happened to you, where I've been so cruising along in my day and I come into the train and I swipe, but I don't see that it worked and then just bam, have you hit your thighs very hard on the bar? It's something else. It will wake you up to just like reality. Like, hang on a second, this is earth, and I've got to come back and like make sure that, I've had, I'm a little embarrassed to say this, I've had a couple of moments in my 17 years in New York where I was so in my head, I didn't even take my card out. Just like, boom, just, oh, wow, okay, they want you to pay to go into the train. Um, Eventually, like, I don't know, they're going to have, we'll just tap our foreheads or something, but uh, right now, get that card out. Life, it just breaks in, it's, it's real. And on top of those, like just, you know, uh, sort of everyday things, we have these big blocks, like systemic racism and, and, and violence in our world, the political divide uh, in our country that's, you know, we've been saying over and over again, feels as intense as we can remember. Rent is high, work is demanding, relationships uh, can be really challenging, painfully difficult, even in, in the ones that are the closest to us. And that's one of the reasons, those are reasons why I take a lot of comfort in the fact that the hair on Jesus' head was still wet from his baptism when he was led into the wild place to face temptation. His ears are still ringing with the affirmation of the Father when he goes to face these tests from the enemy. 
Both of these stories, his baptism and his temptation, they're crucial moments in, in the life of Jesus. And, and I, I, we had a look at one in Epiphany. We're going to have a look at, at his temptation ne- next week. But just to think about them for a moment as, as sort of building blocks. His baptism is this moment of obedience. It shocks John the Baptist, his cousin. He's like, I should be baptizing you. It's fulfilling this prophetic intent that God has had from the beginning. Um, it's, it's, there's this affirmation. We hear the voice of the Father. This is my beloved. Beloved son in whom I delight. There is anointing, a filling of the Holy Spirit. There is a sense of Jesus um, both uh, being affirmed and receiving, walking in his true identity. That's his baptism. And in just the next verses, the temptation comes. The questions, the challenges, the invitation to doubt, physical exhaustion, deep, deep hunger. And what's presented in the temptation, really? Alternative ways to meet the deep needs, real needs of life outside of the Father's way. It's little shortcuts. And I take great comfort in the gospel accounts letting us know that they happened immediately right after one another. If you go through and you look at the accounts, it's the very next thing. The gospel of Mark makes a big deal, a, 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 a big deal about it being immediate. And it says the same Holy Spirit that filled Jesus led Jesus into the wilderness to face temptation. So if you're in a place of facing difficulty and facing questions and facing doubt, we, we shouldn't throw up our hands and say, where's God in all this? Maybe he's not involved. Actually, Maybe the Spirit has led you into a place of testing, of renewal, of, of, of even of examining where we're going to get the deepest needs of our life met. We'll say more on that later. But life does this. Life presents us with these in-between moments. Something has started but has not yet been completed. That's even the way some theologians talk about the kingdom of God. We have the already and the not yet of the kingdom of God. We have left a place but not arrived at where we are going. We see some incredible potential, but we are also aware of the challenges and limitations in realizing. You see this in every arena of life, in your work, in your creativity, in your marriage, in your parenting, in, 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 in your friendships, in your relationship with your extended family, in, in, our, in our longing for, for political renewal, whatever. We have these times between. It's an important aspect of life. I think it's in particular an important aspect of the life of a follower of Jesus. Many of us know what it is to live between the affirmation and empowerment of our baptism, of trusting the gospel, and the temptation of life to settle for another way. So, Lent is a time between. (laughs) It is. Uh, it, it carries us from winter to spring. It, it it brings us from agony to resurrection. It prepares us. It invites us to examine our hearts and the rhythms of our lives and our motivations and our community. And does our love have action to it? Um, it? It calls us to remember. For years and years, the church used this season to prepare um, new believers for for baptism. 
This year might be a time for, uh, for you to remember that season in your life, to remember your first love, to reconnect with Jesus from a theory to a friend. Do you know that God's highest dream for your life is not that you have a list of statements about God arranged properly in your, in your brain? Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life to the full. But sometimes that life to the full means saying no to a life that's less. So as we begin Lent together, I, I want to look at what fills this time um, between from Jesus' baptism and these temptations that we have recorded. We're going to look at those temptations more in depth next week. But maybe Jesus was tempted all the way along for all the 40 days, but we only had the sort of climactic ending of the temptations recorded for us. Um, and, and, and we do know something of what filled those 40 days. So Jesus goes into the wilderness, hair still wet from his baptism, and he's driven by the Spirit into this place of testing, the, into the waste places, into the wilderness, Wilderness. One translation says he was with the wild beasts and the, the, the angels attended to him. So we don't know everything that was going on, but we do know that he fasted. Jesus prayed with his body. He expressed his hunger for the Father and the Father's way by abstaining from food for a period of time. It's an intimidating period of time, actually. Quite a long time, too long. Uh, we're just going to do Wednesdays from sunup to sundown. Um, but everything we, we know about Jesus, I think we're very safe in knowing, along with fasting, that he prayed. That he prayed with his words. That he prayed with his silence. That he prayed listening. That he prayed talking. That he prayed waiting. That he was in conversation with the Father. So let's just continue to stoke the fire of our imagination and put ourselves in this place. Jesus is in between 30 years of being born and living with his family and working in his family in his father's trade, exhausting days of manual labor. And now he's preparing to begin this public ministry. And in between is this baptism and this temptation. And so we're in that space between those two events, between Jesus being utterly unknown and choosing his disciples, between nobody having heard anything about his vision of the kingdom of God and then him stepping on the scene. And in Mark, he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Basically, it's time to reorient everything because the kingdom of God is breaking into your world in a new way and it's changing everything. And in that in-between, we know Jesus prayed and fasted. He spoke with his father and he abstained from food. He walked in the relationship that empowered his life and he said no to his flesh. He said yes to the Father and no to the world. I'm glad the baptism comes first because we know for a fact Jesus did not fast and pray to get the Father's love and affirmation. He did not earn the Father's love and affirmation through his prayer and fasting. He already had that. That was declared before any of his teaching, any of his miracles, any of his choosing his disciples, any of his journey to Jerusalem and the cross and resurrection. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased came before that. And that is part of gospel. That his affirmation over you comes before anything that you would do in loving response to him. 
You and I do not need to fast to get God to love us, to delight in us, or to hear us. But I want to tell you, fasting may help in your resolve. It may foster a concentration in your life. It may, uh, for a season, increase the vibrancy of your prayer. It may help facilitate breakthrough. That's one of the things we see it doing um, in, in the New Testament. It may help you gain freedom from something that has hindered you. If this is your very first week at Trinity Grace, and you're like, they're talking about fasting on my first week? Welcome. We're all in the first week of Lent, so just roll with us. And if you're like, I'm not ready for this, it's cool. We have some books in the back you can check out. Um, but fasting may, may be a way to help us just say no for a season to the roaring appetites of our body. And prayer certainly is a way to grow in our intimacy with God, to express our hearts, to intercede for our family, our neighbors, our world, to talk and listen with God. I do, I want to invite us, quite frankly, very simply, here's where we're headed. We, it was already, the, the, the big giveaway was revealed in the announcements. I want to invite us as a church, you as an individual, to pray and fast during this season of Lent. Maybe you never have before. Totally fine. We'll experiment together. And we really do have resources that we want to help, help you in, in this journey. You could go to tgcparkslope.com slash Lent. There's a bunch of resources on what is fasting, how to do it, how to pray. I'm going to say a little bit about that today, but we're not going to cover all that ground. We have two new books on the, on the table in the back that you're free to take. One is, is, is a guide on how to pray, a simple guide to get started. Uh, the other is, is what fasting even is. Um, you can take those books. You can look at these resources. But uh, we're going to be saying uh, more about this each week in Lent, and we want we utterly, we are not trying to be a sermon hearing club only. We want to resource you in a life of walking with Jesus. That's our, that's our hope. But every Wednesday during Lent, I'm inviting us, calling us to fast together as a church. If you're physically able, I want to ask you to consider going from sunrise to sundown on the Wednesdays of Lent. It, it, it may feel intimidating. It may feel easy. I don't know where you are on, on that spectrum, but I want to invite you to consider that. If you, if you know you physically can't do that, maybe you just skip lunch or you tailor it in some, in, in some way. But I want to invite you, let's fast together as a church during Lent. This is right from our, our, our fasting resource um, that, that we have on that Lent page. But I, I, I want to say this really clearly as I even make this invitation. The heart of fasting as a follower of Jesus is to give up something good. So we're giving up something good. Food is good. Can I have an amen there? Amen. amen. Okay, we're, we're in agreement, and I'm glad. We're giving up something good to seek something greater. And that thing that's greater is actually God himself and God's kingdom. So it's a, certainly a good idea to give up something that's already damaging and sinful. But that's not exactly fasting, right? Sometimes we use Lent as an opportunity, and this is a totally also appropriate thing to do, but if you've got a pattern of thought or behavior in your life that's doing damage and you let go of that for a time, that's really important. That's a part of repentance, but that's not fasting. Fasting is giving up something good in order to take hold of something greater. The biblical record of fasting primarily involves willingly giving up food for a period of time in response to what theologian Scott McKnight calls a grievous sacred moment. 
So it's a, it's a period of time, it's seasonal, um, there's, it's in response to something. So it could be death, a, a death of someone, it could be uh, sin in our life, it could be fear, it could be a threat, it could be a deep need, it could be sickness, it could be a, 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 a period of preparation, and that's what Lent is. It's a season of renewal and preparation and repentance for us to go on this journey together. And so we respond to these grievous, sacred moments with fasting. So when we fast on Wednesdays, what we'll be doing is we'll be praying with our body. We'll, we'll, be, we'll be saying and we'll be demonstrating we're hungry for God. And I want to say this. We are fasting as an expression of love in response to a love that we don't earn, that has been freely given to us. So just a couple of things to, to think about. Um, these are, 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 are reasons over the centuries that the church has, has fasted. We fast to prepare. So we fast to prepare for Easter in, in the broad Lenten sense. We're on this journey to celebrate resurrection and we're preparing our hearts for that day. So as everything, everything that you're given up, um, during Lent, you need to think of some wildly good things to add during Easter because it's not about just giving something up. It's about taking hold of the abundant life that Jesus... So when Easter hits, we're going to be ready to raucously celebrate resurrection. I'm getting ahead of myself. We also fast to prepare for communion, to be nourished by the body and blood of Jesus. We fast to prepare we fast to prepare for seasons of life where we need to do without in the name of love. And right now we live in, in a relatively, you know, comfortable, I know we've been through the pandemic, but in, in a broader sense of like world history, we've had a comfortable run. But there may come a time, I'm not being sort of like prophetically, uh, uh, you know, like uh, a downer here, but there may come a moment where we need to do without in the name of love in big and small ways for our neighbors. Fasting is a preparation for that that I don't have to always respond immediately to every urge my body suggests to me. I can say no to my flesh and yes to the spirit. So we fast to prepare. Well, we fast also to be free. <laughs> if there is, uh, if there is some, something that has got its hooks in our mind, its hooks in our habits, its hooks in our behavior. Fasting is a way to say, I want to see this thing broken off and I'm willing to say in advance a commitment to God, I'm hungry for your freedom in my life. In America, we are, we are, we are massively big on freedom too. Give me freedom to do this, freedom to live this way, freedom to experience this, freedom to have this, freedom for this to be my story. An important aspect, but there are other Pictures of the fullness of freedom. It's, there's also freedom from. Freedom from things that have hindered us, that have plagued our minds, that in our liberty we have taken on as weights to our souls. And then freedom for. Freedom to give generously in the moment of need. Freedom to show up and listen. Freedom to pay attention. Freedom to take the needs of another on ourselves. Freedom to make sandwiches and give them away. Freedom to walk in the way of Jesus. We don't just need freedom to. We need freedom from and freedom for. 
Fasting helps us to be free. Also, fasting helps us um, uh, seek, seek the fruit of the kingdom of God. There's different types of fruit in the New Testament that's talked about. The fruit of the Spirit is largely, largely in this character and relational space. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are things we want to be formed in our character so we are like Jesus. That's, relation, that's a character fruit. But then there's relational fruit. We want to see people come to know Jesus. We want to have to be getting out the baptismal pool more times this year than last year, more times than we ever have, because we want to see people brought into the story of the kingdom of God, rescued by the wild grace of Jesus, their their spiritual name change, freedom come. Like we want a bunch of Loretta's and Charlie's. We're fasting for spiritual fruit, for for, for, for discipleship. The last thing is for breakthrough. There comes a moment, and we're going to talk about this later in Lent, where Jesus' disciples come back to him. They're like, we weren't able to do some of the things you asked us to do. And he's like, some of these things, they come through fasting and prayer. That there is this, uh, there are spiritual realities, like gravity and the the laws of thermodynamics. And like, there are real spiritual realities that, that Jesus seemed to be aware of about like, hey, in order to see breakthrough here, actually fasting and prayer needs to be involved. We rarely think of those realities. That in order to see this change, we might need to press in in prayer together. We might need to press in in collective generosity together. That, that what we're after might be more than just one of us can do alone. I don't think that should be too shocking. Be fast to prepare to be free for fruit, for breakthrough. I want to tell you, in, the, in my times of life, twice in my life, I've, uh, once I made it all the way, the second time I was in the middle of a 40-day fast doing juice only, um, both times I've tried to fast those extended period of times, massive tragedies have come into my life. And I've sort of stamped my foot and been like, God, what are you doing? You see me down here fasting? (sighs) Thank you, G. (laughs) You're with me. (laughs) But I think actually God put in my heart to fast and pray in those seasons because he knew these moments were coming. And it wasn't like the fasting brought them on. It was like I sort of went into some training before these moments hit. And, and then I've had lots of other small moments. I gave up a meal or, or fasted for a couple of days. I'm not saying this to like show off to you. Like it's hard. I'm not super looking forward to Wednesdays. Um, but uh, something that's happened in my life, and I just wanted, this is true experience. When I have fasted, I have seen a personal increase in my concentration in prayer. When I give up food, when I say no to my body, even for just a little bit, I see an uptick in my concentration in prayer. I don't know how to explain it exactly. And like there's a ton of articles out right now about the benefit, like just the, the benefits of intermittent fasting. You've probably seen, seen this as a, as a trend in the world right now, right? People are like, this thing that the Bible's been talking about for years is super good and helpful. And we're like, now we believe it is. <laughs> I've also seen an uptick in my intimacy and joy. When I fasted, I've seen an increase in my concentration. I've seen, there's um, what the old saints used to call a quickening. When I fast, I just experience a quickening. Like there's an immediacy to my uh, sense that God is, is with me and, and near. I've seen an uptick in my discernment. 
not like it's a magic trick, but I have uh, been able to discern like things in my life that were confusing. Uh, confusing. Sometimes the haze just lifts when I fast. It costs me nothing. I've seen an increase in the enthusiasm of my worship in times when I fasted. I want you to add to this list of benefits as we experiment with this together. So we're, we're fasting on Wednesdays. We're doing it as a church, but we're also praying. We aren't just giving something up. Self-denial is never the, the end goal in the Christian story. It's always self-denial for the sake of something, for the sake of love, for the sake of taking up something good. So we're going to pray together. Everyone who can join, we're trying to make this as accessible as possible, Wednesdays at noon on Zoom. You can get the link on our website. You can get it on so, social media. Uh, you can email, connect at Trinity Grace Church. Make sure by Wednesday you have this Zoom link. Wherever you are in the city, we're just going to jump on. We're going to pray for however long it lasts. You know, we're not going to go for two hours or something, but we're, we're going to pray for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, something like that together. Then pre-service prayer next week, 9.45, as many of you as can. So during Lent, we're fasting together on Wednesdays. We're praying at noon on Wednesdays on Zoom for all who can join. And then we have an in-person prayer meeting at 9.45 on Sundays. And we put it on the same day as the service because we're trying to take all the obstacles we can out of it. I know there's still always going to be obstacles. But let's fast and pray together. I have seen the exact same sort of uh, similar, you know, like things in my life, concentration, intimacy, and joy, discernment. When I pray with other people, one of the benefits I see is, is, is like I just said, there's, there's a level of concentration that comes. There's an intimacy and joy that comes. I'm, I'm able to borrow someone else's faith in that moment. So I may drag myself into a time of prayer with other people, but I hear G or, or, or Patricia praying and all of a sudden like my heart begins to be stirred with what they're believing God for and I can draft off their faith for a little while when we pray together. There's tremendous power in fasting and praying together. I'm not trying to be dramatic, but for Jesus in this story, the stakes are high. I believe they're high for us as well. Jesus is showing a crucial part of Israel's story when after passing through the water, they doubted God's provision in the wilderness. You remember that story? Jesus is, is living out this picture of Israel's Messiah. He's also facing temptation like our first ancestors, but not in the plush garden where they faced it, in the barren wilderness, in the waste place. And all that he received in his baptism is tested in the wilderness. Again, his baptism was a place of, of true identity being affirmed, of anointing, of filling of the Holy Spirit. Everything that Jesus does going forward from his baptism, he's filled with that Holy Spirit. And all that happens in Jesus' baptism gets challenged in the temptation. Who are you really? You're weak and you're hungry. Who knows you? Who cares how will you accomplish anything? These are, these are the archetype temptations. We're gonna talk about them next week. Appetite, ambition, approval. These, these temptations define the human story. I, I think we need to see that the, the heavenly father is affirming Jesus and then the heavenly father by the spirit is leading Jesus into this, into this time of testing. 
for most of us, testing is something we only think of in negative terms. We only think of it as like, why would God put me through this? But I wanna tell you, during this time of testing, God's arms are not folded expecting you to fail or looking at you and say, let's see what you're really all about. That's not, test, testing is, is God saying, are you ready for what I have to give you? I think about this with my, own, with my own kids. When I give them a little more responsibility and I say, all right, you're gonna go down to the store on your own. You're gonna take this money, you're gonna buy this thing and you're gonna bring back the change, right? It's an opportunity for them to go a little distance so we can, we can test and see, are they ready to go more? Are they ready to go further? And that's the father heart of God with us. He's saying, listen, I'm not putting you through this time of Lenten renewal in order to like, you know, to show up your weakness. I'm trying to give you more. I went back through some of my journals yesterday. I see this dynamic showing up over and over and over again. God will bring me back to the same little place that I'm so stubborn about. And I have journals about it in 2015. I'm ready to surrender God. And then like 2021, same thing. I super really am ready to surrender God. You can just know that I am. He's like, I read your journals there's a struggle between the flesh and the spirit. Many of our challenges are in this space. We ended Epiphany saying Jesus is the bread of life. Now we're gonna begin Lent testing that theory, testing that friendship. Can we be truly nourished and filled with the life of Jesus? What nourished and filled Jesus' life I wanna walk through something really quickly that many of you have seen if you've been around TGC before. We, we go through this in our intro to uh, Trinity Grace a tiny bit, but in depth in our membership. If you go through the seconds course with us, which is a, um, a practical discipleship course about the way of following Jesus, which we're gonna be running right after Easter this year, um, we go through this in depth as well. So I'm not gonna spend as much time on this as I could and even want to, but I have represented you here, and I'm sorry, with this circle. Me, me too, okay? So we're, we're trying to, this is a tool. It doesn't do everything. It has its limitations, but it's a way to think about our life for just a few minutes. And so if you think about what makes you, you, you have what we all see. You have a body um, that, that has, um, you know, these receptors for taking in information in the world that you were born with, that you've been growing with. And so you think about your five senses, taste, touch, hear, sight, smell. These are the receptors you use to take in information and move through the world. You do that with your body, but you you are more than just a body. This is one of the things, you know, poets and, and, and theologians and philosophers have been debating about the human experience, but what is inside of us that makes us us that's gone when someone's in the coffin? We have a soul as well. And so if you think about this, this reality, um, how do we define the soul for our purposes today? Let's think of it as our mind, not the gray matter in our skull, but our consciousness, our ability to think, our imagination. We think of it as our will, our ability to make decisions, to make choices, and our emotional reactions to those decisions and choices. So we, we have our five senses, and we take in information uh, through our, our body. We make decisions in our, our mind. Uh, we, we enact them with our will, and we have emotional responses to them. I think we even have, what's the next slide? Oh yeah, it's just basically like a little uh, track track of, of this reality. So from, the, from infancy to now, you have been seeing things, registering those things as like 
crudely like files in, in your brain, although it doesn't obviously look like that, making willful decisions and having emotional reactions. This is happening a million times a day. It's not exactly a linear process most of the time. Um, there's conscious and subconscious ways this happens. But along with your DNA, this pattern of taking in information, making decisions in your mind and your will and your emotions begins to shape who you are, your personality, your preferences, your habits. So habits of thought and behavior can be shaped by this reality. Now, something happens when we become Christians. Like 2 Corinthians 5 says, if anyone is in Christ, um, translations say different ways, but basically um, they become a new creation or the new creation has come. Something fundamentally different happens when someone becomes a Christian. When Jesus is talking with Nicodemus, he says, you have to be born in a new way. What on earth is that talking about? You're not just born physically, but you're born spiritually. So when someone becomes a Christian, the spirit of God uh, comes into their life. And go to the next slide. Oh yeah, all this we're talking about is, is, is when the New Testament talks about the flesh, it's not talking about skin. It's not talking about sexual sin in particular. It's talking about a pattern for doing life that God has not taken into account. And so go back to the slide before. This is all of our lives. All of us have the flesh. It's not, it's not necessarily like even bad on its own. It's just a way of doing life without God involved. And then what happens when you become a follower of Jesus is that friendship and forgiveness and friendship define the, the, the story and the Holy Spirit comes into our life. Let's go to the next slide. So this is uh, where, where it, it breaks down because it's not like an equal pie chart that makes us into a Mercedes. Um, but the Spirit comes into our lives and, and calls, us, calls us to life. What Jesus does on the cross wins us forgiveness. And that forgiveness brings about friendship and union. And the way we experience that union is the Spirit of God comes and fills our life and we become new cre creatures. We become new creation. We are born in a new way. If you want to see this described in, in one of the New Testament letters, Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8 describes this, this dynamic in detail. And Romans 8 is particularly about how does someone live with the indwelling Spirit of God? And that is one of the questions for us as followers of Jesus is how do we live with the indwelling spirit of God in, in our life? This, this struggle between our old way of doing things, our own uh, habits of thought and, and, and behavior, and this new way of living by the spirit. How do you live the spirit-filled life? How do you eat the bread of life? How do you follow the way of Jesus? These are interrelated and overlapping questions. Now, something we talk about is, okay, if you say, I want to live a spirit-filled life, what on earth would I do? Like, I have a longing to live by the Spirit. Now, there's some mystery to this. There's some spontaneity to this. Like, not every single thing is, is, is planned out in detail. But if you want to know, there are some guaranteed places that the Scriptures tell us that the, the Holy Spirit, there are tools the Holy Spirit uses in our world to, to grow us, to mature us, to, to form us in the way of Jesus. And, and, and I'm just going to run through them very quickly. The first is the Word of God. The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. So if you're looking to connect with the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life, one place you can go is the Scriptures. So on a daily basis, you can open up the Word of God and you can hear the Spirit speaking to you through those pages. You can say, God, help me as I read your Word to hear your voice. And the Spirit speaks through the Word of God. Another place is worship. 
that God inhabits the praises of his people. So when we are uh, directing our attention, our affection, our delight and joy to God in worship, we often sense the delight of the Spirit, the Spirit saying yes to our praise, saying you're, 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 you're moving in the right direction. You, and people, this happens all the time. People who have no experience in church say, I don't know what was going on when you were singing, but I felt some sort of thing. I felt some sort of electricity. I felt some sort of energy. The spirit responds when people worship. Prayer is, 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 is another place. When, when we pray, when we, when we have conversations with God, the spirit is um, groaning with our spirit, helping us pray, helping us to even sense the heart and will of God. And then community. The scriptures tell us where two or more are gathered in his name, God is there. That doesn't mean where two or more are gathered and they know about him. Then they're gathered around his name. Now, I want you to think about something. Can you think of a place where all of these things would be represented? You're there. Like, what a thing. Like, what a challenge to our faith that for all this time we have, you know, ha- had to isolate and do, and do church on Zoom. And, 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 and this pandemic has been, a, has been a real challenge in so many ways. But one of the things is that the Spirit shows up when, when we're reading the Word, we're worshiping, we're praying, we're doing it together. And the, and the church is one of the places that happens. And I want to tell you, any of these individually can be places that you will see the Spirit of God at work. But when you combine them, oh, they are powerhouses, So when you pray the scriptures, you can know for sure you're praying right along with the heart of God. And you can know for sure that God longs to answer the prayers that you're in community. And you can hear this person singing and that person singing and this person like opening their hands. We're doing this together. These are powerhouse places. So if you just took one out prayer, and you think about all the different ways you might pray. And I, I was just thinking of a couple from, from, from my life, from yours, soul vent. To pray is just to vent your soul to God. Everything you find going on in your heart and mind, to vent it in your, in your mind, your will and emotions, to vent it to God. Praying the scriptures, singing, right? Especially when we sing out the, the poetry of the church and we sing God's heart back to him, God's promises back to him, God's character, we celebrate. We, we pray in silence, we pray in journaling, in listening, in, in, in fasting and with others. And those places where we combine these places of the spirit, they are absolute powerhouses in the church. When we fast and pray together, it is a way to say, I want the fullness of the Spirit, to say no to the flesh and yes to the Spirit. And that's what I'm inviting us to this, this Lent season as we journey towards Easter. Let's say yes to the Holy Spirit. Let's follow the pattern of Jesus. And let's fast and pray. And if you can't do it forever, that's fine. We're just going to Easter. I wrote a letter to my friend Loretta who's being baptized today. And in it I put a little paragraph from my devotional that morning. And it says so clearly what I want for my life, for my kids, and for you. (laughs) Our lives are destined to become like the life of Jesus. The whole purpose of Jesus' ministry is to bring us to the house of the Father. Not only did Jesus come to free us from the bonds of sin and death, he also came to lead us into the intimacy of his divine life. That's what this is about, church. 
It is difficult for us to imagine what this means. We tend to emphasize the distance between Jesus and ourselves. We see Jesus as this all-knowing, all-powerful Son of God who is unreachable for us sinful, broken human beings. But in this way of thinking, we forget that Jesus came to give us his own life. He came to lift us up into the loving community with the Father. Only when we recognize the radical purpose of Jesus' ministry will we be able to understand the meaning of the spiritual life. Everything that belongs to Jesus is given for us to receive. Everything that belongs to Jesus is given for us to receive. Fasting and prayer are just ways for us to say yes to that invitation. That's why we're, we're moving into it together. Not to be a spiritually elite church, not to do anything for performance, just to say together we're hungry for God and we know he's there. Everything that belongs to Jesus is given for us to receive. So I want to invite you this Lent in a, in a particular personal, committed way. Let's say yes to the Holy Spirit. Let's say yes to the pattern of Jesus. Let's fast and pray. We're going to fast on Wednesdays from sunrise to sundown or skip lunch, however you need to modify. Let's fast together. We're going to pray Wednesdays at noon on Zoom and in pre-service prayer. I want to invite as many of you as, as can to join us for this. As we close this service, here's what I want to invite you to do. I want to ask you to commit in your heart to fast and pray during Lent. I want to ask you to ask for help from the Holy Spirit and from someone else. And then I want to, I want to ask you to, to receive what, what God has for you this morning. I'm going to pray for you. Heavenly Father, will you move by your Spirit? As we, as we prepare our hearts for communion, would you move in us to... to to commit to pray with our body and to pray with our words during this season. Would you meet us in each of these steps of faith and obedience? Would you pour out your love in our hearts? Would you carry us into the best days our church has ever seen for the fruit of the kingdom of God? on the wings of these prayers, Lord. Would you do in our midst what we cannot do on our own? Come Holy Spirit, guide us and nourish us and as we make commitments right now, God, may they be in love, not merely an obligation. May they be in joy, not merely in duty. We pray and we trust in Christ's name. Amen.